Welcome to the Tag You're It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And what we have here is the fifth and final session of the God in Government Conference, where Dave and I had the pleasure to ask questions from the audience and our own to the four panelists, Josh Jenkins, Brandon Dodd, Josh Eaton, and Senator Mike Moon. All of our speakers want to come up here. We'll kind of get our question and answer started. It's going to be ran by uh, the panel of the Tag You're It podcast, Adam Cochran and David Van Beber. They run a, is it a weekly podcast, guys? Try to be weekly. Try to be weekly? <laughs> weekly, bi-weekly. All right, well, it's a, it's a semi-consistent podcast. <laughs> so thank you guys for doing this. Uh, again, we got Brandon, Pastor Brandon Dodd of Hope Baptist Church, along with Pastor Joshua of Hope Baptist, Senator Mike Moon, and Pastor uh, Josh Eaton from uh, Kansas there. And I'll pass it off to you guys. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, um, for coming. This is uh, one of those things that um, we've been talking about on the podcast, in a way, for especially the past year. Um, you guys, I know, are probably um, fellow listeners of, like, Apologia Radio and Dividing Line and stuff like that, too. So we're, we're all in the same boat here and uh, going through this year's stuff. And uh, I remember talking with Josh Jenkins before, like, I think we need to figure out some sort of, like, society-type meetings where we get and, like, teach theonomy, what it is, teach the scriptures, get people together. And all of a sudden, he's like, let's do this. And so I'm very thankful for Hope Baptist and uh, the people of Hope Baptist and everybody um, that came together to do something like that and invite Dave and I um, to do this and just putting up the logo and, and uh, just letting, letting me do some fun stuff and, uh, and, and support all this. So I thank you guys for coming out. Thank you guys for putting this together. So I wanted to yeah, give them a hand for all the hard work for everybody here. It's, uh, thank you. I think the Lord is pleased um, with what we're doing, and so we can, we can go in this in hope as we sow in hope. So um, we hope that this uh, question and answer time is beneficial to us all. I wanted to make sure that your voices were heard. So in a way, this is like the rep- representative government, right? So like we are representing the room. That's why we wanted you guys to ask questions, but then we could sort of see where, your guy, where you guys are at so we can have the best time, uh, get the right answers asked so that clarity and, uh, you know, just expanding things. Um, that's the most important thing right now. So not quantity of questions, but just make sure the quality questions are asked um, so that we're all on the same page on this issue of God and government and Romans 13. So some of our questions will be because the questions have been offered as directed to you. We'll try to sort through them in that way. But if we do ask that question to one person, then the rest of the panel is more than welcome to chime in on it after that first question. So that brings us to our very first question. Mike, it's addressed to you. You just spoke, so we might as well hit the iron while it's hot, right? Yeah. Can you discuss Senate Bill 391? I'll do my best. That, that bill came to me. Is Wes still here? Wes is still there. Um, he, Wes is one of the drivers behind that bill, as is Bradley Pierce, an attorney from Texas. And um, I, I'm grateful that they allowed me to carry it for them. And it's, a, it's an abolition bill, which will essentially a- abolish abortion in the state of Missouri. And um, there's a lot of revision, uh, taking out some of the um, incrementalism things that have happened and replacing it with absolute bans against the killing of unborn children. So, like, uh, in, in light of that, I'd like to ask us, uh, last year, as a representative, you yeah. had a House Bill uh, 2285. Um, 
Josh and I got on the Tag Your podcast and sort of talked about that. Um, just kind of tell us, I, I'd just like to like them to know, like, what did you go through last year with that House bill? Because of uh, the year before, uh, House Bill 126, you may remember, was called the heartbeat bill. Um, leadership figured they had done enough. And um, so it wasn't even sent to a committee until the last day. Uh, when I mentioned rules uh, just a little, little bit ago, the speaker is the authority and the ultimate um, um, power on when bills are referred to committee. And the bills that are not liked or not wanting to be forwarded are usually held until the last day of session because the Constitution requires that bills be referred to committee. And so that's how they get around that last day. So there was no intent to hear the bill. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and move to the next question. Is that all right? Sure. <laughs> Josh, this one begins with you. So in your sermon on the application in regards to abortion, you did not address ectopic, am I saying it correctly? Yeah. Ectopic pregnancies as well as, and, excuse me, as well as pregnancies that might kill the mother. What is your ethical counsel and in such matters? Uh, me, ectopic meaning uh, all the uh, rape, incest, or just... No, the ectopic... Yes, it's a it's a tube pregnancy. So um, the the uh, development process, even from conception, hasn't gone quite right. And uh, usually, it's it's very very early on that uh, it becomes a threat to the mother's life as well. Oftentimes, it's harmful to the mother yeah. as well. Those are very rare. And um, of course, you should apply situations where the mother's life is at risk just like any other situation where anyone's life is at risk. Uh, there shouldn't be a difference between, uh, so a doctor should do everything he can to save everyone's life. Uh, you can't do that sometimes, so you, that's what happens, right? Uh, you, yeah. But the life, uh, you do everything you can to save life. I think... I mean, it looks like you're, so maybe we'll say the same thing, I don't know, but um, I, I would say I think one of the important things to remember is that there's a difference between um, being unable to save somebody's life and uh, violently taking someone's life, and that distinction needs to be maintained even when we're dealing with very, very difficult, um, and, and sometimes I, I'm... <laughs> I'm going to say gray, you know, that's not quite the right word, but I mean, they, they need to be handled on a case-by-case -case basis precisely because of the fact that um, there, there can be so many extenuating factors that can be difficult to make uh, judgment calls sitting up here on a stage, but I, I certainly think that one of the most important governing principles is um, I'm not going to murder somebody, right? I'll... I'll try, I'll do everything I can to save everybody that I can, and, and that might even, that might would even involve needing to make some type of uh, judgment call, but that's different than, than actively taking someone's life. And I would add to that for the mother who is in that sort of situation where her life is at risk, that is how you show the gospel. That is how you picture what Christ has done by saying, I am going to bear this child 
even if it means my life could be taken from me uh, because not because you're being murdered, but because you have this risky uh, situation health wise. And so um, how, how, what better opportunity for a mother to be a hero and a picture of Christ to her child than to just not even, you know, not even allow that to happen. So mothers, we need, we need courageous mothers who will be bold and know that, you know, having a child is a risky thing. It really is. And in, in years past, you know, modern, modern uh, medicine has made it very much easier to have children. But, I mean, the, the death rate of children in years past and the, the risks on mothers was so much higher, so much more death. And, um, you know, we've, we've got it really good um, where we're at now. So have more babies. Just, just briefly, if I may add, you're talking about intent. And so a physician is going in with a mother's life at risk and perhaps the baby's life at risk. If their intent is to murder the child, then they're going to abort. But if their intent is to do all they can, as you said, to, say, to save the mother and save the baby, uh, science has progressed so far since the days you're referring to that there are ways to nurture both and keep them both alive. Last year, I think it was, I, I was trying to find an argument for the ectopic uh, pregnancies. And I found back in 1905 that there was a, a procedure performed on uh, an ectopic tuple pregnancy where the, the physician, get it back in 1905 now, removed the embryo and reimplanted it in the placenta, and the baby developed a full term. So if, if back in 1905, in their technological world, and the way the medicine has just improved dramatically today, it can be done. And I guess uh, with that said, you know, since, since it looks like, you know, there's a lot of arguments out there that might be passe because of, like you're saying, science has. Uh, where could we find, like, do you guys know, maybe, you know, with, with, uh, just with your connections with the, you know, like abolitionist movement and just the community that you share information in, is there any places where we can find these new sort of uh, medical advances that maybe, you know, the people, you know, sitting in pews you know, in homes working all day that can't do this? Like, where can we go to find this information of what they can do so that we know that what we can do if we get in that situation ourselves? My communications director is here, Sophia Shore. Would you wave, Sophia? Um, and if you will remind me to put that article up, and I can send it out to you. If you want to send me an email, I'd be happy to share that link with you, too. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I've got the next question. Uh, if you do not wish to be COVID tested or vaccined and, and, a, and are being persecuted, how can we articulate uh, ourselves in defense of that position? So in other words, if you don't want to be COVID tested or vaccinated, uh, how do you articulate that from a Christian worldview and, and how do you do that in a righteous way? I mean, very simply, the jurisdiction of the government does not go into our health. Um, they don't have that jurisdiction. As Brandon laid out, Romans 13, it is to punish harm done against a neighbor. And, you know, our health decisions are, are not their business. <laughs> so that's a very simple answer. Yeah, I think um, that's a religious argument, right? It, it can be a political one by virtue of 
we're talking about what the government ought to and ought not to do, but it's a religious argument because my foundation is not the Constitution, it's the Word of God. So there, there's that. I, I will say, and this is may, maybe just to clarify, maybe I'm just, I'm going to just keep talking as I was saying from my message, but maybe just to clarify that there are times where by virtue of the fact that we may obey or may disobey if something is not expressly sinful, um, maybe we do o- obey sometimes, for, you know, I'm not necessarily suggesting that with either of you, but maybe we do sometimes um, uh, obey for the sake of not coming under greater persecution or, um, you know, I, I, I told somebody, I, I pay my taxes uh, kind of in the same way that somebody who gets mugged on the side of the road would prefer to lose his wallet in his life. Um, so... Uh, um, uh, but that that can be an important aspect, uh, you know, kind of prioritizing your liberties and prioritizing uh, your responsibilities. I have a greater responsibility to my family to provide for them uh, than I do to go to jail for tax fraud. Um, and I think I think that's probably something that just needs to be clarified right off the top when we're talking about all the ways to disobey our government, which um, obviously, again there's a religious argument to be made. Government shouldn't be telling me to do this, so I won't do it. When it comes to vaccines, though, I mean, you, uh, m- many of them were, uh, came into being because of an aborted baby. So, I mean, that is fact. Most vaccines originated or came into being because of an aborted baby. So there's a moral, uh, religious uh, foundation there. I think it's important for us to look into the history of vaccines, too. Uh, There was a a law passed by Congress a number of years ago uh, that protects Big Pharma from any uh, lawsuits, so um, they can't be indemnified. The um, pediatricians today, mostly, that I'm aware of, fall into the practice of the CDC guidelines on uh, how the following the schedule the CDC has purported, and I've I've heard of some folks who have challenged the the pediatricians, only to find out that the the doctor will say, well, if you're not going to follow my uh, my guidelines, then you'll need to leave my practice. Be prepared for uh, opposition. I believe we're getting close to the day where you won't be able to do certain things. Uh, like the, the, uh, there's already a card that's been prepared for certain airlines to fly on their air, airline, uh, and you won't, will be prohibited from doing so unless you have the vaccination. And um, with the contact tracing and other type of tracking measures that have been put in place, I don't have all the answers, but I think that's where the stand you take may determine whether or not you go to work whether you buy from a store or able to shop in a particular place. Uh, that's, we're not there yet, but I think we're right on the precipice of those decisions being made, especially with the new administration we referred to earlier. Uh, and they have the House and the Senate uh, to go along with them. Uh, be prepared for some federal mandates that come down, and that's why it's so important for you to be involved in local politics, state politics particularly, so that we can stand against the tyranny that's coming down the pike. So then that kind of, I'm sorry if, if I cut you off, off, Josh, but that 
then kind of deals with what we see in a picture of larger uh, evangelicalism. Everyone is going to be, all of the pre-trib rapture folks are going to take these things and they're going to unleash them right in this storm of confusion that I often see. Sorry if I'm speaking ill of anyone, but that's what I see happen. How do we then speak hope into that situation? Because what you just painted there, Mike, was a fairly gloomy picture. Uh, I'm not that gloomy. Like, I'm going to say multiple things, but they don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from you all. Uh, how do we uh, then actually show and shed light in a very hopeful, biblically hopeful way into what almost seems like a gloomy perspective? What do, how, what do we say to that in our interactions, in other words? If I could just lead off, and I'll be br- really brief. I think we need to determine where in our uh, hope lies. If, if it is truly in Christ, then... We can take the stand that we're we chosen to to take, if the Lord is leading us to do that. And then, when people question us, then we can share the gospel with them. They may not accept it. Uh, they may think that we're the evil one because we're killing them. But when you have in this particular virus that's going around a ninety-seven to ninety-nine and a half percent chance of survival, where is the panic coming from? And I believe it's orchestrated purposefully. And so. Um, you might have assumed that I'm an anti-vaxxer. I'm not totally anti-vaccinations. I didn't uh, assume that about oh, you. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and I met you, collect, and, you know, anybody out, even outside this area here. Um, there are certain things that I might have taken and may even take in the future, but this um, rapidly developed vaccine may contain some of the, the things that you said. Uh, I'm not comfortable doing that. And besides, uh, with that high chance of survival, I'm going to take that risk. So I think the the things that uh, Mike Moon described a moment ago about the potentials of not being able to travel with a vaccine or work or shop here or there, I I mean, I think that's a really legitimate possibility. That's a real assessment that I think is very real. we were just talking about this with some of the men from our church recently, you know, um, that means that as Christians, if we're not going to capitulate to it uh, for whatever reasons we have, we need to be doing everything that we can uh, locally with our local churches, our local Christians to be as self-sustaining as possible, Mm -hmm. to be able to band together and build our own institutions. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're going to if they're going to not allow us in the grocery store, well, let's grow our own food. <laughs> you know? So anything that we can do just to think, well, if that's what's going to happen, how optimistically do we deal with it? Well, we, we take responsibility for ourselves. And it's, it's hard, but that's something we've got to think about quickly. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to add some more, some more positive things uh, Me too. about abortion and abolishing abortion. According to uh, state senator in Oklahoma, uh, Joseph Silk, who introduced the ab- uh, to abolish abortion last year, uh, he believes that this year that uh, there have been a number of state uh, representatives and Senate uh, ran on an abolition platform that there will be at least nine states at least entertain the idea of, ab- of an abolition bill. It will be brought forward whether it makes it anywhere. But the, the point being is there are going to be nine states. That's at right. least think about it when it, that hasn't happened in a, a long time. 
Yeah, I think just to be hopeful, I, I think two, two big things. One is that uh, I'm hopeful that real Christians will, um, be, uh, that'll be made apparent, that divide between, uh, that divide between uh, people who are not real Christians and people who are churches who are not willing to stand up and churches who are, and, and that'll be nice to see those lines of demarcation. It's easier to know who we can work with and who we can trust. Um, but, but also, as society um, and whatever that means for us as we're trying to work through that, you know, one, one of the things, I'm trying to figure out how to make this brief, but one of the things you know, with, with the big tech persecution and, and all of that that needs to be realized by us as Christians is that we never we never built any godly anything you know we didn't build any uh, we have gab right uh, we need to build our own internet we got to build our own internet guys um, uh, I mean we don't retreat from the culture that's what we've been taught for so long we don't retreat from the culture we build culture we take dominion and we build culture. So let's go build our own towers uh, or whatever. I, but like that's, the, that's, I think, the, the other piece that I'm hopeful for is the opportunity when things come crashing down. If the, if the, if the wealth of sinners is laid up for the righteous, then I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to build culture in the wake of, of uh, a society that hates and denigrates and, and destroys culture. All right. Well, uh, just uh, you know, in that vein of uh, hope and just kind of what we're what we're waiting for. Anyway, just uh, one last question, sort of in this uh, vein, uh, before we move on to kind of different part of a of the topic is uh, just from the from the state level, um, since we do have a statesman here, um, we have a governor that has uh, stood up and just said, "Hey, we're not we we are not going to make the rule on say masking." So they left that up to the cities and all that kind of stuff. So he's kind of like, you know, the the, the federal or the, the, the more higher-ups are saying this kind of stuff, but we're not going to make the decision and leave it down to the lesser. Um, what is your view um, of those kind of things, say, if or when the uh, new administration comes in and, say, an executive order comes in and says, say, masking, vaccinations, whatever, what is your view of how Missouri right now, since we do have sort of that opposing right and left thing going on, um, what is your view of that and how that is going to, like, are they going to fight against those kind of things or do you see more of a very flexible um, Missouri government? Unfortunately, I don't think the Missouri government from the governor to the um, attorney general will do much to fight things like that because my estimation of their current belief is that um, there's a supremacy clause in the U.S. Constitution that says U.S. law is supreme. However, they've forgotten the Tenth Amendment, and it says that anything not done in pursuance of the Constitution uh, is left up to the people and the states. So, unfortunately, I don't think they understand that. Um, and so, one of the things I want to mention, too, and that's why it's important to kind of pay attention at least some when the, uh, the state of emergency declaration was issued back in March of last year. I read the statute. It was um, section 100 or chapter 100. I think it was section 44. And um, or back, vice versa. I don't remember which now. But in any case, 
there had to have been a natural, a man-made disaster have already occurred within the state for a declaration like that to be called. And so my question was, what happened? Did I miss anything? And there still hasn't been a disaster that's taken place. So I contacted the governor's office. There was no response. We were in a second special session. And so when we went back to the legislature, I filed a resolution that would terminate the emergency order. Uh, and leadership, the king, said, we're not going to even take it up. So I killed that just by one person. What has to happen, in my opinion, is we have to change the statute that will at least include the legislature. The, the declaration uh, was, was called, in my opinion, so they could draw down federal funds. Now, I'm typically against bailouts like that. The government, though, caused the problem with these businesses. They said, you've got to shut down because you're not essential. They were owed. They needed to be compensated. Um, there's a lot more I could say about that, but let me finish with this one thing. The um, Fifth Amendment, we usually think of that as, well, I don't have to testify because I don't, can't incriminate myself. But the last line in that amendment says that private property cannot be taken for public use unless just and fair compensation is provided. Now, we all recognize that if they're taking a piece of land that, yeah, it's going to be like an intersection or whatever, that's usually okay. Fair compensation is typically given. Private property, though, and I've just got the declaration that I was on the right track here, that uh, private property also includes businesses. And so if a business is required to shut down uh, and because you're not essential, then they need to be compensated 100% of their loss. So if a bill like that passes and someone takes, uh, has an action against the local government, do we have enough money to compensate all these people? No, even the state treasury with like $6 billion doesn't have enough money to compensate them adequately. So if these suits are filed, the local governments, if we're in the same circumstances, are going to have to say, you know, it's unaffordable, stay open. Now, these businesses didn't have to close, but they did because they were fearful of uh, reprisal against people saying, well, you know, I got the COVID virus because of you. We're in weird times. But, uh, and I, I may have danced around that question a little bit, but it's, it's, I think it's all related in some way or another. But um, changes need to take place. I think the governor was wise by saying, I'm not going to declare a mask mandate. I won't tell you the whole story, but it was, it was a, a face-saving thing because when he did that after declaring the emergency, the, um, that state of declaration or uh, declaration, uh, state declaration of emergency, then left or shifted all the power to the Department of Health and Senior Services, which includes local and county health departments. And so they are the dictators today, and they're calling the shots, and that needs to stop. So we have some legislation that will address it, but it's going to take a while for it to be enacted. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for all that. You didn't, I mean, you didn't. It's not dancing around. You just gave us a lot of really good information. So let's listen to that. Um, let's look at these. Uh, my, my, my kind of thing on this would say, he talked about a lot about the laws. Let's read them. Let's know them better than the people um, that are telling us what to do so that we can gracefully and lawfully fight back in grace. That's instead of 
Am I being detained? Am I being detained, right? <laughs> you know, we don't need to fight, but we need to go. But don't you understand, you are called to even by your standards. Like Paul said, even your poets, right? Even, so here's your standards. You can't even follow yours. So, and, and so let's act out of that. Let's know them better than they know themselves. So I'm really bad at being able to deal with time. I don't always negotiate it well, so I apologize, but I just have to have a little bit of a follow-up. You are so kind to have your communications director make sure we get a copy of that 1905 policy that was outstanding. Mm -hmm. In this type of situation, it's obvious that there are laws that we need to have a good grasp on. Um, Except for you, brother, because you're not in the state of Kansas as well. (laughs) So it's a little (laughs) bit different. what would be some of those things, and maybe you could get us a few of the, just to kind of follow up on Adam, if, if there'd be any way that you could get us a few little pieces of legislation or a few laws that we would maybe need to be familiar with in regard to this. Does that make sense? We can do that, but it's going to cost you. Okay. No, I'm, okay. I'm kidding. No. <laughs> Come if, on, if, I'm, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally glad. If, if you will send an email, okay. um, you can get Sophia's email or my email and uh, ask for that. We can... We can get that together. And send I'm throwing it out. a whole bunch on your plate, so I apologize. Sophia is going to be very help. busy after this. <laughs> <laughs> so, how should we, how should we view and respond if the Hyde Amendment is repealed, thus requiring that our tax dollars go to support abortion? If I can start that again, I'm sorry to, to take up the time here, but. There was a man in Oregon, which I have advocated for his cause for a while now. He has not paid federal income tax for it. It's been a pretty long period of time. They have filed suit against him, but there is a caveat. Now, I can't cite it for you today, but there's a caveat in the law that says if the federal government uses resources for something that you disagree with, you don't have to pay the tax. And what's that? Hey, it's not just me, guys. So, so he has gotten away with it, even after legal battles. And it's a man from Oregon. If you just Google that, you'll find the article, uh, likely. And if you can't, holler, and I'll, I'll send a link to you. I think that's an out for us. Now, be prepared with this new administration, since they've got all three branches. They would likely, uh, or the House and the Senate and the, um, and the presidency, they would likely enact law that would say, ah, uh, you can't do that anymore. But right now, he's successful with it, and take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I don't know that I want to talk, I don't know that I want to answer the question. That's why I was laughing. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody whether or not they should or shouldn't pay taxes. Okay, is there anybody up here that has Everybody a friend <laughs> that they know about? Josh. I I mean, we have the right by virtue of of what God says, and and the the subject of taxation can be a difficult one, especially living in our uh, culture, which is where things are so mixed up together, but but we have the right not to do what the government goes beyond its jurisdiction and tells us to do. I think that's probably all I would want to say about that. And then I would just say you have to make those decisions and work through those sticky wickets um, on a case-by-case basis. And if, if you want to call me and go out to coffee, then we can do that. But that's how I would deal with it. If you put things in the order of priority, I wouldn't think that that is, on, uh, that is way down 
at the lower level. There are many other things to fight yeah. <laughs> against. I would also just add as not to answer that question for anybody, but to add as a principle to consider is when it comes to taxation and things like that, we are not responsible for what the government turns around and does with the money they take from us. And so um, just keep that in mind. I think we're free to not be guilty along with them in their sinful uses of our tax dollars. Speaking of taxation, whether they're looking for the next question, if you're not familiar with the fair tax, that is one avenue, if we could pass something like that, where you only pay taxes on new, new goods or services. And the tax would be revenue neutral, so you wouldn't be paying any more tax, but what that would give you the ability to do if, for example, you buy a used car, no tax. And so then you can determine how much money goes to the government by how you purchase. And so, thank you for that, because that leads us to the next question, which is, uh, what is the most effective way to address the civil magistrate to affect change in public policy? So, in this instance, how do we get, how can the, the, the citizens, which can talk to you guys, right? How, how does that all work? What's the most effective way to get this thing rolling to affect change? Well, I mentioned that during my brief talk, and that's developer relationship. Uh, get to know who they are and be friendly because that usually is, you know, honey is, um, you know, better attractor than vinegar. And, uh, and be a regular communicator. Ask them for information and uh, hold them to what they say. And if they're not accountable, not willing to listen, that's when you can go a step further, gather groups of people and um, advocate for a change. We don't have right now uh, the ability to recall someone like me. That's unfortunate. So I've got a bill that's in the drafting stages that will allow for a recall of anyone. You can recall a commissioner today. Well, no, you can't. You can recall the city council. Uh, it takes some effort. But other than that, you don't have a good system unless they're being elected and you try to unelect them. But be involved and uh, get other people to help you. Numbers speak. I would also add to that, especially in our homes and in our churches, we need to return to singing and praying the Psalms because the Psalms are chocked full of prayers and singing, asking God to uh, you know, judge the rulers of the earth or to break the teeth of the wicked as we sang today or to save us or to, you know, it's, it, there, there's, you know, Psalm 2 is telling the kings of the earth to kiss the sun. So as we sing and pray God's ordained hymn book and prayer book for us, God will respond to that. He will respond to his ordained prayers and songs. And so we need to use it and see what God would do with it. And don't just sing songs for mask mandates at the city hall. <laughs> sing them at the abortion clinic also. Mike, this one's a little bit more directed to you, but it's based a little bit on what Brother Eaton had said in his sermon. Uh, what does Mike Moon think about Missouri just defying the Roe versus Wade on abortion? Read the last part of that again. What does he think about what? What does he think about defying Roe versus Wade on abortion? Absolutely. I've been an advocate for that all along. Um, Missouri should know what's best for Missourians. And if we want to really protect the developing human life, 
then we stop killing them. And people, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know how, what you think about Missouri right to life, but we have been embattled for years. They don't like me, uh, probably because of, I don't care much for the way that they've been acting either. There, there's been such fear that if we passed a law that I've had um, proposed in the past and it were challenged, here's not quite verbatim, but what they've told me, if, if that passes, it goes to the Supreme Court and they overturn what you've done, then we lose all our, uh, all our success. And so my question back to them is, tell me what specifically would you lose? And they can't answer it. And that's a shame because all they're for, in my opinion, is an existence. Uh, there are so many pro-life issues that they could be fighting on, uh, like trafficking, all kinds of things. But yet, they're, all their, their marbles are placed on stopping abortion, but it's so incremental. They're okay now because an article just came out yesterday, the day before, that now Missouri is the first abortion-free state. I beg to differ. There may not be... Uh, a facility in St. Louis that is actually doing surgical abortions, but I guarantee you they're, um, they're prescribing pharmaceuticals that will kill a baby. Is that not killing a baby? Absolutely it is. And so look at the information, and when you encounter someone who says, hey, isn't it great we're, we're an abortion-free state? Ask them, what does that mean? I don't think they can tell you because they're reading headlines. And I, now I've forgotten what the question was. I hope I answered it. It was, what do you think we should do oh, on okay. Roe vs. Wade? And you just answered it very clearly. Yeah. So we I appreciate that. That was we good. You answered it clearly, and then you <laughs> branched out. That's exactly okay. exactly what I would tell people to do if I was saying, here's how you should answer questions. Okay. He, just, he just gave Josh's sermon 2.0. It was, yeah, <laughs> we need the repetition. It was good. Okay, was good. I just get so frustrated. I can walk into the natural healing store and get some THC today. Uh, and that's because Missourians said, we're not going to listen to the federal government. But just as you, I'm just taking a little bit from you, brother. Uh, but we can just go ahead and murder babies all, all day long. But we yeah. can't dare go against the federal government. I've used that argument. We've got four states that are selling marijuana, supposedly legally, but it's illegal according to the federal government. But you're right. We, we, we oppose what we want to oppose. Sad. Um, with that said, um, we did a show last week on this, and uh, this is really awesome that I uh, get to ask you this question as well, because uh, we did a show on uh, what we, I guess, it's also a guy named Joseph Boot, this is where I kind of got the uh, term from, but uh, it is uh, pietistic social retreatism versus the social gospel, uh, which are which was a tale of two problems. And so um, we sort of touched on this uh, last week on our show, but uh, how about you guys? What say you? That's kind of the, the, um, the response to the question. But uh, this uh, question says, uh, in regards to abortion, gay marriage, and other issues, I've often been told that you can't legislate change, so we should focus on sharing the gospel, whether change, uh, or whether it changes people's hearts how do you respond to this? So um, this is kind of like, um, I 
we did the Missouri Baptist for the abolition of abortion with the NBC this year too. And so I'd received um, uh, a message from a buddy of mine saying like, you know, I don't personally, so this is kind of like, I don't personally think this is right, but I can't legislate my morals on other people. So that's kind of a clarifies it's that question. It's not your morals. Bit. Yeah, so what do you say you? <laughs> so, um, yes, absolutely. The, the biblical, one of the biblical uses of the civil law, of course, is not to change hearts. Uh, no one is ever saying that. Um, but one of the uses of it is, is to restrain civil evil. And so um, it is much better to live in a society where civil evil is restrained, even though there may yet be carnal people, than in a society that is just blatantly, you know, living without any restraint. And so we have to understand that that is one of the uses of the law and uh, not be ashamed of that and understand that that restraining of evil now then allows us the most freedom possible to then preach the gospel, which does change hearts. So anybody else? It's a representative government. They represent you. What they're saying is represented by you you may if you disagree with it then you should be saying something about it and plus you know when i'm at home as a father of little kids i don't you know i don't let them play baseball in the house with a metal bat and a real baseball and and i don't let them you know knock each other in the head with the bat i mean you could say i can't legislate morality <laughs> but i still don't let them do you know the law wasn't to uh, get to the motives of what they're doing it's to stop them from doing it legislating morality not being able to legislate morality is just an utterly nonsensical term utterly nonsensical phrase laws are based on somebody's morality it's either god's or it's not so um the problem isn't that we're uh legislating morality it's that we don't like the morality that that uh you know all these all these liberals don't like the morality that's being proposed uh, and they need to submit to Christ. That's the, that's the main problem. So would you guys say that legislating God's morality then is loving neighbor? Yes. Mm-hmm. How do we distinguish between dominion taking and silo building in the world? Yeah, so basically how do we distinguish between taking dominion of the earth versus retreatism, basically, is what I'm understanding there. And I would, I would say, and we've just, again, talked about this recently in our church, is um, the dominion mandate to take dominion of the earth and to uh, uh, fill it and subdue it. Um, we are Christians who believe the whole Bible, you know, not just parts of it. And so part of the fulfillment of that mandate is that we are carrying with us the Great Commission, which is the New Testament uh, explanation or expansion on the Dominion Mandate. And so um, to faithfully carry out the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations, we can't be retreatism. Uh, We can't be retreatists. Um, And so our Dominion taking has to involve um, the teaching the nations the gospel and how to obey Jesus and everything. So all those things together... Is, is what our mission should be, if that makes sense. 
Well, we have about 12 minutes left, so we've got a lot of questions, and someone is out there saying, my question, my question, come on. They're intense out there, just look so, at them. Well, I mean, if I would be doing that, if it was my question, I'd be like, come on, the Van Beber, he just does not answer, he doesn't want to go to my question. So, rapid fire response, like two to three sentence, you know, cross-firing it. So we're going to shoot these out, and... Uh, then we'll kind of be quick in our succession. So Brandon made some allowance for the government to provide infrastructure that allows them to carry out their God-given roles. What might some examples of this be, and what is the biblical basis for this allowance? Brandon? Yep. <laughs> I just looked over at Josh. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Two to three sentences. Um, That's yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I can't. So um, it, the, the principles are what is laid out in Romans 13, and um, we can draw from those principles. We can obviously compare and contrast from the civil government that God set up in the Old Testament, even if we don't think it necessarily has to look the exact same. Um, and then just necessary to the task of punishing evildoers, uh, just common sense tells you you have to know that they're evil, right? And so you have to have a basis for knowing they're evil. So you have to have, if there's a dispute about whether or not they've done something evil, you have to have some way to adjudicate that, um, and so on and so on. And, and it really can arise, it, it can really arise very um, naturally um, as you just kind of grow out of the necessary implications of performing that task. So it does look like judges, juries, sometimes detectives, other things like that, in order to be able to accomplish the, the goal of, 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 of punishing evil, protecting good. I, I, I witness protection program, even, you know, um, and then uh, um, making sure that we punish the right people. All right. Um, anybody else have... Little two cents on that one. All right, I know it's rapid fire, and we we're Go giving everybody yeah. the opportunity. Um, but here's here's a big one. Um, this and this has come up. Uh, if anybody knows me, I have a uh, fun, engaging friend of mine um, who asks me questions all the time on what I post on Facebook. So uh, for the public, anyway, and maybe even for my friend if he watches, um, what do we do then with thoughts? So this is for Brandon, and in, in light of his. Um, his uh, sermon uh, today, but uh, so with evil thoughts or ideologies being perpetuated, if government does not step in to help, you know, so you said we're, they're going against evil actions, right? And so then now we brought thought, like thought crime or ideology out of the realm of government. What do we do with that? We don't punish it because the Bible says not to. But in these spheres. Uh, oh, what, what does the world whole what should society do i mean there's i mean there's so many free market quote unquote uh i don't know if that's me it's messing up here there's so many free market possibilities to deal with that but the the, the main way that we win the battle of ideas and ideals is by regenerated hearts um which means it comes from the preaching of the gospel so we make disciples we teach them how to think rightly teach them what to do and uh the, the government only steps in when um Something aborts in how we relate one to another. And then, here's a big one, and uh, I'd like as many people can say anything, but what about blasphemy? No, we shouldn't punish blasphemy in the civil realm. There's church discipline for that. 
and there, there are, I guess, so I, I mean, if I could just, I want, I don't want anybody to blaspheme, um, but there are, there are societal ways. So a godly society, uh, you, you, you know, it used to be that two men wouldn't kiss in public because it was shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a godly society will um, encourage good behavior, uh, even beyond simply the, the um, non-aggression principle level stuff, right? It'll, it'll encourage good behavior beyond that, including a respect for the God that everybody knows exists. So, Having said that, I would say, as we saw today, the Bible explicitly lays um, the, the obligation on government to recognize Christ specifically. Therefore, um, when it comes to our government entities, offices, statements, documents, um, blasphemy is a category there, if you want to call it that. They must explicitly and only recognize Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. not other gods, not Brahma or the unknown gods. So in that realm, certainly. Uh, yeah. All right. The government must be held to God's standard of what is evil, and they must punish as revealed in, by God in his word. Should we also hold the government to the modes of punishment commanded by God in his law, such as stoning for certain crimes? Yeah, these are good questions, and y'all can pipe in if you want. Uh, I just recognize that they're on these issues. Um, I'm inclined to, so one, stonings. Uh, if God's approved it, then we ought to not be ashamed of it. Uh, so I'm not ashamed of stoning. And if a society wanted to implement that, fine and dandy. If you happen to live in a place where there's no big rocks, um, maybe you, maybe you need something different. Uh, I'm in, and I'm and I'm inclined to believe that's. <laughs> you guys think I'm joking, but uh, <laughs> you guys think I'm joking. But there's a principle there that's very very important. Um, God made laws specifically for a group of people that He knew. They had big rocks. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm also inclined by, by, by virtue of the fact that Paul says they wield the sword um, to tell us that it doesn't have to be a one-to-one. Um, but there are principles, especially that we learn, of justice, um, appropriate responses to certain levels of coercion, um, to use a legal term, uh, from one individual to another, there are, there are many, many wonderful, good lessons that we learn when God set up a government in the Old Testament, how to then um, appropriately respond in, in our day and age. So there's some really great things about stoning. <laughs> uh, that's a weird sentence, but there's some really great things about stoning that, that um, some principles that are, I think are worth highlighting in how it is that we execute justice in our current day, even if it's not big rocks. Right. Well, uh, we are to owe love to one another, especially to those who are pro-life and are brothers and sisters. How can abolitionists work from love with pro-life or even pro-choice? Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's actually a, a great question, and that's what we actually want to end up doing is for abolitionists to speak to pro-lifers in such a way that they uh, see that this is the biblical case and to join us, not become our enemies. Uh, we don't want to speak to them in a way that they 
uh, are the enemy, but to help them see that what they're doing is actually hindering the truth of God, because many people are just ignorant. I mean, some of you even told me afterward, uh, wow, I didn't even know that the pro-life movement was such a hindrance. Uh, and uh, one guy just, I don't know wherever you are, just told me I was pro-life. I'm not anymore. I'm an abolition. There he is. See? And that's, uh, that's just really what we want to do with everyone. There are plenty of uh, pro-lifers who just haven't thought deeply about what the leaders of the movement are doing. And had they done so, they wouldn't have followed them. Had they known that they were uh, intervening in what you were trying to accomplish, the abolition of abortion, they wouldn't have donated or supported or even called themselves uh, by that terminology. So, uh, yeah, we want them to uh, see it, repent of uh, being a hindrance, and, and join the biblical perspective of abolition. Oh, man, I've got so many things I want to say, but... You guys are going to join us on our podcast when we unpack the uh, ERLC's uh, pro-life discussion, right? Good. Oh, I just uh, signed you up. So Adam doesn't even know that, yes, we're going to be dealing with that. But uh, from the gentleman who just raised his hand, he said, during the Revolutionary War, men resisted tyranny through warfare. Was this a proper response from a Christian perspective? I think yes, because the English Parliament and King George were violating the uh, agreements, constitutional covenantal agreements that they set up, and they were trying, you know, people always think, oh, they're just mad about a few little taxes. It was much more than that. It was very religiously uh, motivated. Uh, The English Parliament was trying to enforce the Church of England on the colonies, and so... uh, they viewed this as um, the king and the parliament, they were the lawless ones. They were the rebels and the, and the lawbreakers, not the American colonies. And so, in fact, um, having said that, and you'll find this in the Black Red Regiment book, um, the, many of the, the pastors that were the leading voices during this time were, were adamant that of what I just said, but then also cautioning and saying, we cannot be violent. We must wait. We must try every legal means possible. And they did. And even, I I forget the pastor's name, but the pastor who was first fired upon, you know, the first shot that started the war was uh, an aggression from the British troops. And he was telling his men, they they knew the troops were coming. And he told his men, do not shoot. We're not going to fire the first shot. And um, they didn't, and they were fired upon. It was fired on a church lawn, and right there, it now becomes a defensive, justified war. And uh, so I think they were justified. It is 3 o'clock. On the dot. On the dot, everybody. So I think we'll call that um, the conference anyway, so... Do we do? I mean, any final thoughts? Yeah, I want. I want to add. Um, some people have asked me for resources. Uh, um, if you want to hear more sermons like the one I preached, go to rescuethose dot com. There are. There's more information uh, there. If uh, some of what I uh, mentioned uh, from the dismemberment bills in Texas and such as that are uh, outlined and sourced in the book, uh, The Doctrine of Balaam, 
So if you want to check that book out uh, by C.R. Kelly, you can uh, do that as well. And if you'd like more information from me, you can contact me at mike.moon at senate.mo.gov. And Sophie will have access to that message as well. And if I don't see it, I'm sure she or our other staff members will get the information to you. If you want to sign up for uh, capital reports that come out uh, on a fairly regular basis, we won't inundate you with, with uh, stuff, but we'd be glad to contact or have contact with you and give you the information you'd like to know about. I, I just want to say how thankful we are, Mike, for you. So, yeah, we really do appreciate you and, uh, and all the work that you do and the stands that you take and your love for Jesus. So thank you very much. And then the last thing I told Matthew Truella, who sent us the Lesser Magistrates book, if you want to find more of his resources or his sermons or the ministry he does, he does a lot of work on this. He also stands outside of abortion clinics and that sort of thing. Defy Tyrants, I think it's .com. DefyTyrants.com is where you can find all this stuff. A very good resource. So I think with that, I will...